The culture at that time, in Jesus' day, was 2,000 years ago. It was very different than it was today, for sure. And when you look at the context of the Bible at that time that Jesus was doing ministry, and as a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi, you really start to see the Bible come to life, right? If you've been at The View for a while, you remember this study where I talked about how when we look at the Bible through the lens of American culture, we miss a lot, right? Because American culture, Western culture in 2023, is so different than Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. And I'm explaining some of those differences. One of the major differences, though, when you study that's going to pertain to our sermon tonight is in Jewish culture in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago, the way that they identified, or let me say this, the way that they found some of their worth and their value was a lot differently than how we in America find it today. Let me explain this. In Jewish culture in Jesus' time, They found their identity, they found their belonging in community as groups. At that time, it wasn't as individualistic as it is today in America in 2023, right? You tracking with me? It was very much about a group, right? The goal was not necessarily to be as unique as possible or to stand out, right? They found a collective identity. They they found a place to belong. Community was very important. Family was very important. So this whole, this whole drive that we see in America in 2023 to have this individualistic expression of yourself was not as popular in Jesus' day. And that's very important when you read the parables. So compare that to America today, right? To them, it was very much about family and group and the culture of that group and finding your place and fitting in and everybody going in one direction. In today's American culture, the, the win is being as individualistic as you can, expressing yourself as uniquely as you can, and standing out, right? Like in America, we, like when you hear be a member, a lot of us are like, be a member of what? We're like, what do I have to sign up for? Is this, are they going to send me text messages? <laughs> Am I going to get emails? Do I have to unsubscribe to this? Today, we want to be as individualistic as possible. We want to be unique. We want to stand out. We want to express ourselves, which to a degree is good. Emily, there's nothing wrong with wanting to express yourself individually. However, where we have found ourselves in a trap in America is we've gotten to the point where we want to express ourselves so much individually that we're expressing our sinful nature. And some of the ways that we want to be unique has led to sin. And you know what I'm talking about. You know, I can list off several different things our culture struggles with today or finds identity in today. We're not going to go there tonight. But so much has been, hey, I need to express who I feel I am today. And that's what's most important. Not belonging, not necessarily fitting in, not being a member so when you talk about this whole concept of the church in 2023, for your generation, the church is not that popular, right? Being labeled is not popular today, especially out west, especially up north, but even here in the south. Being labeled a Christian, a lot of people don't want it. Being a part or a member of a church, a lot of people don't want it. It's not very popular to belong, right? We want to stand out. At the end of the day, we want to be part of something where we find some value, but so many of us want to express ourselves individually, I saw it different than Jesus today. And so I wrote this down. When you think about church and you think about being a part of the local church and all the things you've heard, man, I can't, I can't tell you the amount of things I've heard of people on why they don't want to go to church my entire life. I've heard this. Have you ever heard this? I just don't want to go to church because I don't believe in Jesus, right? And some of you may be in this room and you're like that. Like, you're not a believer. Like, you don't believe this is true. You don't believe Jesus. You don't believe in the word. And that would be your main reason for not being a part of the church. And we understand that, but I've heard many others. It goes like this. I think I'm a Christian, but if I sell out for Christ, if I get active in church, my lifestyle has to change, and I don't want that. 
Have you ever known anybody like that who, hey, I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't really want to go to the college ministry. I don't really want to go to the young adult ministry. I don't really want to go on Sunday mornings. I don't want to get involved in life group because I'm going to have to change my lifestyle, right? And that often comes from people who are living in a sinful lifestyle that don't want to get active in church because once you start getting active, you either fake it, which is miserable. Faking the Christian life is awful. Or you just drop and stop going, right? I've heard people say this. It's full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand. Have you ever heard full of hypocrites? My goodness. It's a big reason people don't go to church, isn't it? I heard this illustration on Instagram. I have no idea who it was. I wish, it, wish I could claim it, but it's not. So there's a lot of hypocrites in the gym, too. <laughs> we don't mess with them. That doesn't keep us from going to the gym. It's like when you go to the gym, think about it. When you go to the gym, if you see me and Dakota in the gym, we are on way different spectrums here. <laughs> All right, Dakota looks like the A-plus gym member. Checks in every single day, 7 a.m., lifts those weights. You see me in there, you know, hey, it's probably his first time on the treadmill. <laughs> Right? And you don't walk in there and say, hey, Daniel doesn't belong here. I'm not coming back if he's here. Why? Because I'm, try- I'm in the right place trying to get right. And you don't look at Dakota and say, man, because he's got it all together, he don't belong here. Why? Because he's working too. The same thing is for the church. If you come into church and you see broken people and you think, man, they're not supposed to be here. Yes, they are. <laughs> what did you think you were stepping into? <laughs> you come into church, you see people who are growing, being discipled, have knowledge of the word, and you don't. Does that keep you from going to the gym just because other people are in shape there? It motivates you. You want to grow. I mean, when I first came to church, I saw people who knew the Bible inside and out. I didn't walk around like, oh, I'm not going back to that place. They know the Bible. It's like, I want to be like that one day. I want to grow in the Word. It's full of hypocrites, right? That's why we don't go to church. That's why Gen Z does not like church a lot of times. I've heard this. I'm scared to go. I've said that to my mom who's here tonight. Thank you for being here again, mom, that I'm scared to go. Church is either too big or it's too small. I'm not walking up to the mega church. It's a business. It's all for money, right? I'm not going to a house. That's intimidating. I'm not going to a small church. It's either big, too big, or too small, right? You got to find one that's perfectly in the middle. Not too large, not too small. Not intimidating like a house to walk up to. Not intimidating like a big building to walk up to, right? I've heard people say, hey, it's either too big or too small. Guys, listen, I want to tell you, there are a thousand reasons why you cannot get involved in the local church. However, tonight, what I want to show you is this. I don't want to convince you to start thinking about your church attendance, (laughs) Because, man, what a shallow way that is for you to leave and say, man, I need to up my church attendance. Well, we missed the whole purpose of Acts chapter 2. No, here it is. I want to hopefully persuade you with Acts chapter 2 to show you that the church is the bride of Christ. That the church is one of the greatest blessings God has offered to this earth. And that Acts 2 is just a glimpse of what it could look like when it's done right. Is church done wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the church has messed up along the 2,000 years that it's existed. But the Bible never said church was going to be perfect. <laughs> he didn't tell you when you walk in, you're going to meet perfect people. He did call those people who are imperfect to go and minister to other imperfect people so that we can all worship the perfect creator. So let me remind you a few things before we read Acts chapter 2. These are facts about church. They won't be on the screen, so I want you to listen. Number one, the church is not a building. The church is a people. The church is not this fellowship hall. The church is not Bellevue. The church is a people. If you're a believer in Christ, you and I make up the church. We are the church. We are the hands and feet of Jesus on this earth. The church is not a building. It's a people. Not only that, but number two, the church is not a country club for perfect people. It's a hospital for the hurting. Can I get an amen? Aren't you glad that you should be able to walk into church with your baggage and your hurt and your addictions and your shame and find Jesus, but also find people who will walk alongside you with that? Number three, 
The church is not perfect, but the Bible never said the church would be perfect. It's not, and I want you to please don't miss this, it's not the work or resources of the church that give it value. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit within and through the church that give it value. Is the Holy Spirit there moving? And then the last one, before we read Acts chapter two, that I want these fresh on your mind. The church is made up of broken sinners who need grace and mercy. And if we need it, raise your hand if you need grace and mercy. If we need it, we should also extend it to others in our lives. Isn't that right? So Acts chapter 2, let's look. We're going to be starting in verse 37 tonight as we talk about what the church looks like when God's hand is all over it. So when we say be a member, we're not talking about Bellevue, we're not talking about The View. When we say member, we're not talking about checking a box or filling a seat. When we say be a member, we're talking about being a team member. We're talking about being a difference maker, a game changer, somebody who has a role and has a part to play within the kingdom. And so here, look with me at Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is right after the moment that Peter finishes his sermon. And so I hope that you've read that over the last two weeks. If not, go back this week. I encourage you to read that in your quiet time. This comes off right after his sermon. And he preaches about Jesus of Nazareth, who they have crucified, who raised from the dead. And we're going to see the initial reaction to Peter's sermon. And we're going to see the formation of the early church and what it looked like. I want to say one more thing before I read this, because a lot of us have opinions about the church. We all have opinions about it in 2023. Acts chapter 2 is an amazing start of the church, and what we see here, what we're going to read is for sure amazing. Don't get me wrong. I love Acts chapter 2 as much as anybody, but hear me for a minute, and I'm serious. I do believe that there are some people who almost idolize Acts chapter 2 and say that it, it should look exactly like that today. And I understand. We want the characteristics. We want the attributes. We want to see what's happening in Acts 2, happen in our culture today. But we have to understand, we live in today's culture. Remind yourself of that. And when you read the Bible, you have to understand the context of when it was written. And when you approach the culture of Memphis in 2023, if you approach Memphis's culture with a Jewish mindset, you're going to miss the mark, and you're going to be in trouble really quickly. Memphis is not like Jewish culture in Jesus' day. It's a lot different. So when you read this, understand that we have the same God from Acts chapter 2 who is moving today. However, we must take our ministry and put it in the context of Memphis in 2023. And what would it look like if we lived on fire for the Lord? We see the same miracles. We see crazy stuff happen. But let's not idolize this era. Let's worship our God and ask him to do the same things he did in that era in this one. Amen. Okay, so look with me. Here we go. Right after Peter's sermon says this, verse 37. When they heard this, the entire gospel, when they heard it, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? An amazing question to ask right after hearing the gospel. Brothers, what must we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, so those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Now look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds, the proceeds to all as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me pray. And then I've got four quick things we're going to walk through tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for allowing us to gather here to worship the name of Jesus. Father, thank you that 2,000 years ago, your son died on a cross paying for our sins, paying the penalty that we owed, our wage, but then three days later rising from the dead so that we today in 2023 are filled with your Holy Spirit as believers and can know Jesus personally. And Father, I do pray for anyone in here on the sound of my voice, Lord. There are many stories in here, God. You know them all. I don't. There are many stories in here. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of happiness in this room. But Lord, there are people in here who are on a journey, and I know that there are people in here who don't know Jesus in a personal, saving way in their heart. And Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night that they would repent and trust in Jesus, your son, as their Savior, Lord. We're not selling anything humanly. We're not selling anything here, Lord, that is not of your will. We just want to preach the gospel tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, would you speak every word to us now? And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Well, let's dive in. Let's start with number one of what we see in this text right here. Here's number one. The church must have a devotion to the word of God. Number one, the church must have a devotion to the word of God. Now notice for a minute here, these points, if you listen to a lot of sermons, the points say you. Have you noticed that? They teach you that in seminary, that you're not supposed to say we, you're supposed to say you, right? You're supposed to talk directly to the audience. You should have a devotion to the word of God. However, collectively, this text is all about together. It's all about we, right? So every point is we, the church. The church must have a devotion to the word of God. That's the very first thing you see in 42 is that they're devoted to the teaching. Now, this word devotion, we're going to come back to it all night long. Y'all say devotion, devotion, devotion. Now, here's what's fascinating when you look at that in the Greek as it's used here in Acts chapter 2. In the Greek, this word devoted, when it says that they were devoted, it communicates this, that they had a steadfast and single-minded, don't miss this, a steadfast and single-minded devotion to one course of action. All right, so let me break this down. So what is communicating here with devoted, right, is not just a mindset or not just a desire, but they collectively, their devotion, they were moving. All right, this verb is that they were moving. All right, you imagine a wave. They were moving, and they were moving in one direction. Right? A wave isn't going all over the place. A wave is moving in one direction. They were a people group who were so together that they were moving in one direction with a single mind. They weren't double-minded. I mean, I know there's some people in here tonight who are double-minded, and I've been there myself many times where half of your mind is trying to live for the Lord, half of your mind is living in sin, and you're trying to get out of it. I'm telling you, they were single-minded is the first attribute we see. Can believers be single-minded on the Lord in 2023 in Memphis? Absolutely, that correlates to us today, but it's a group thing. So they were single-minded, moving in one direction, right? One direction, headed that way. All of them going towards the Lord. There can't be lone wolf Christians. <laughs> there cannot be lone wolf Christians. You cannot do it on your own. Every single thing that you see. In verse 42, it says they. Then it says devoted. 
In verse 43, it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders. It didn't say some of the group. It said everyone was filled with awe and wonders. Verse 44, it says all the believers. That same verse says together. Then it says they in verse 45 when it talks about their possessions. Look at verse 46. Every day, not some days. There's some consistency to this. Every day. And then it goes on to say in verse 46, they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple. Praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. This idea of moving one way, you cannot be a lone wolf Christian. You can't do the Christian life alone. You cannot live your life as a Christian where you're going your own way, especially if the other believers aren't going around you. That's dangerous. It's dangerous to be a lone wolf Christian. You know why that's dangerous? Because there's a lot of lone wolf drivers in Memphis. That's why that's dangerous. You drive around Memphis for a little bit, man, my goodness, we have... We have some really bad drivers, and I know none of them are in this room tonight. But man, our city has some really bad drivers. We have some people who on the road want to do it their own way. I see it happen as I look over to the cars next to me. We got people who want to drive and text at the same time. I know none of us in here ever struggle with that. None of us ever want to look at our phone while we're driving. There's some of us who are eating Chick-fil-A while driving. I know that wouldn't be this group for sure, not this group. All right, I got to wait till I get home before I eat my McDonald's after the view. We got people who want to drive crazy. They don't want to follow the law. They want to, don't want to drive the speed limit. They want to go their own direction. They want to cut you off in traffic, or you want to cut them off in traffic. You got a lot of lone wolf drivers. You know what happens? You have a whole lot of wrecks in Memphis. You have a whole lot of deaths in Memphis. Because lone wolf drivers not only hurt themselves, they hurt everybody else on the road because they're not going the way that the law has said traffic should go. You know why lone wolf Christians hurt the church? Because they're not going the way the law that God has given has told us to go. And it's hurting not just themselves, but it's hurting the collective group. You can't be a lone wolf Christian. You can't do the Christian life alone. You, you don't get too set. And I'm telling you, man, listen, if you're here tonight and you're wondering if you should be a Christian, you might walk out and say no because it's a commitment. To follow Christ, it means pick up your cross and follow him daily. That doesn't mean you just jump in and everything goes well and well for you. It is a commitment to deny yourself. And part of denying yourself and following Jesus means if you're following him, you're following him with a group of people who are like-minded, single-minded, and going in the same direction. I want to go out on a limb here. I bet some of you have had some friendship drama in your life. <laughs> maybe not much. Maybe you've got the perfect friend group. Praise God. Bring them to the view. <laughs> We'd love to meet them. What happens when, when friend groups have a lot of drama? You know what's going on there, really? What's really happening is that Satan has a stronghold somewhere in that group. And what that means in that group is there's people going opposite directions. There's people who have values to this there's people who have values to that. Some are trying to live for the Lord. Some are trying to live for the world, and, and they start to break up because they're not going in the same direction. You look at Acts 2. These believers in the early church are going the same direction, and it's towards the Lord. And Spencer, it's following a way of living. It's not their own precedent. They, notice the freedom they have in Acts 2. They're not making up how to live as they go. <laughs> Isn't that so stressful to make up your own values and your own sense of worth as you go? They're following the word of God, a devotion to the word of God. And look how easy it is for them to be joyful. How many of you want to be joyful and be happy in your life? Amen. I'll tell you what. Internally, in your soul, in this life, if you know Jesus, you will never be short on joy. You will never be short on value. You will never be short on worth. Because Jesus offers everything your soul needs. But you know what? Following Jesus may cost you something externally. You may be persecuted. You may be rejected. You may be the one in that friend group who is saying, guys, I think we should go this way. I think we should live this way. 
And all of a sudden, you don't get the text about the invites to the clubs no more, to the parties, going where they're going. All of a sudden, you're out of the group chat. Is Jesus worth it to you? Is following the word of God worth it to you to not be a lone wolf driver headed your own direction, but worth following where God has said his people should go? And that's a choice that I can't make for you, a choice that your parents can't make for you, a choice that your best friend can't make for you. They were all moving in the same direction, single-minded, devoted. As you look at Acts chapter 2, it is in no question that they had the word of God as the absolute authority over their lives. And so I want to ask you these questions tonight. I want you to think about these that I have to ask myself. Does the word of God have absolute authority over your life? If you're not a believer, the answer is no. And that's okay. I wouldn't, nobody would expect that. You're not a follower of Christ. But if you're a Christian, I mean, seriously, does the word of God have the absolute authority? Let me break that down. So here's what that means. That means, did the word of God have influence on where you're working right now and why you work there? Man, I don't like Daniel. I don't like the view, man. They, they step on toes. I don't want to talk about my job. Talk about your job, Daniel. Talk about pastoring, right? No, I'm serious. Did the word of God have influence on where you're working right now? It had influence over why I'm pastoring. If it didn't, I don't know if I'd be doing the same thing I'm doing because i got to wake up every day and know I'm going to do what God has told me to do. Your career, your degree that you've chosen in college, did the word of God have any influence over why you're choosing that degree? All right, your friend group, the people that you belong to, did, did the word of God influence and prompt you and push you as you read it each day to choose those friends as a place for you to fit in and belong and rest your soul with. The people closest to you are the ones you rest your soul with. I think you want to put some thought and prayer into who you choose to do that with for your whole life. That's why I've chosen Dakota. I'm not short on encouragement or comments that I need to work out more in love. Did the Lord have any say? And listen, I got to ask the same thing. Sometimes, man, I'm so quick. My team has to remind me. I move so quick. I make so many quick decisions. So many quick decisions. I just want to make a decision and get it done. And my team reminds me all the time, like, Daniel, we need to pray about this. We need to see God. Like, does God have influence over how we do our follow-up with those of you who come for the first time on a Monday night? Prayerfully, I can tell you, yes. Like, we have asked the Lord, how do we love people when they come the first time on a Monday night? So I'm telling you, in your life, what you're doing, where you work, your family, did the word of God have not just influence, but does it have absolute, <coughs> excuse me, authority? And here's how you know. If you wake up tomorrow and you know for sure the Lord has laid it on your heart through prayer, the word, and godly people in your life that you're supposed to change your major, but you don't want to, would you? Would you do it? You don't owe me an answer. I don't, you don't, I have no, like, you don't owe me an answer about your degree. This is just for you and me. If you woke up tomorrow and the Lord, through prayer, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and godly people in your life, spoke to you clearly and laid it on your heart to move out of the country when you graduate college, would you go? If he said, I've been to Honduras three times. If he said, hey, I want you to go be a missionary in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, when you graduate college for two years, and you knew, not a person or a pastor, but the Lord laid that on your heart, would your yes be on the table, would you go? What about in the country? What if he called you to New York? or Los Angeles, or Seattle, or Denver, where we go every summer. Goodness, I love Denver, Colorado. What if, what if when you graduate college and you want to live in Memphis and you have a certain way of your life, the Lord says, hey, I want you to move to Denver and be a missionary. 
for six months right after college, would you go? If you and I can say yes to these kind of questions, then the word of God has absolute authority over your life. The sad thing is we know for sure that God has told us every single day to wake up and spend time with him, yet we don't obey that authority. See, we can't even answer these long-term questions because we struggle so much just to wake up and spend time with God. We got other people that we want to call and we want to text and we want to hit up. And then the morning's gone and boom, you haven't spent time with the Lord. We can't answer the, the Hail Marys because we can't accept the handoff from the Lord. I'm watching a lot of football, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I've never used football lingo, decode. <laughs> what in the world? I never played any kind of football, man. Just said handoff. Boy, I tell you what. That's good. God is offering you a handoff to hear from him every morning that you wake up and spend time with him in the word. And what's amazing is the more you spend time with him each morning, we'll keep going. The more you accept handoffs, all of a sudden you can catch a long bomb once in a while. You can accept a long call from him once in a while. You can do something that you never thought you could do if you would just be faithful. Watch this. It's so encouraging. Day by day. You don't build a brick wall by setting out to build a brick wall. You build a brick wall by one brick as perfectly as you can lay it at a time. Does the word of God have the absolute authority over your life? Because if not, Jesus addressed this. And it hurts. This verse, I'm telling you, is one of the most hurtful verses in Scripture. <laughs> if you're not completely sold out for the word of God, it stings. Here it is. Jesus, he said this in Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? In other words, your claim that I'm Lord doesn't follow your actions that I'm Lord. What you're claiming is in contradiction to your actions. Your actions show that you are Lord because, let's circle back to our questions. You and I had the ultimate say over our friend group. You and I have the ultimate say over our job. You and I have the ultimate say on where we go when we graduate college, what city we live in and what we do. But Jesus is saying, hey, if I'm Lord, Lord, you are supposed to obey not just the call of God when it's exciting and cool, but you're called to obey the commands of God day in and day out, morning to night. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Call students, I don't know what your wake-up call is. I know my own. But for yours, where in your life has the word of God been very clear and you're just lacking obedience? And you just need to obey. Matthew 24, I love this verse, verse 35. Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then in Philippians chapter 2, you talk about an incredible exhortation on how to, how to live, how to function, how to be one, and how to follow the word. It says this in 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Some of us, myself included, complain today about something. The Chick-fil-A line took too long. Somebody cut you off in traffic. There's a lone wolf driver in Memphis on the loose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, verse 15, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. The church must have a devotion to the word of God. That's why I'm so grateful. When you come in here, you don't get Daniel's opinion or Dakota's opinion. Because our opinions ain't worth much. But you get the word of God. What does it say? It says well, it must be a devotion to the word of God. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me give you number two. Not just the church must have a devotion to the word of God, but number two, the church must have a devotion to godly community. The church must have a devotion to godly community. It's cheesy, but you can't say community without unity. 
so lame. I didn't even know that until four hours ago. I guess that's why the word is community. It's a group of people who are unified. I love Andrew Bryant. Some of you know Andrew Bryant. He's one of our life group teachers here at The View, and he's a veteran for sure. He was my roommate when I was in college, and he was in a bad wreck this weekend. Uh, it's very known, so if you'll be praying for him, please. He, on Thursday night, he was sitting at a stop sign, and he was hit, and they took him to the hospital that night. And he has a few injuries. He's going to be okay. No surgery, praise the Lord. But he's going to have to do PT. And so that's some recovery for him. He's at home tonight. If you want to pray for Andrew, you can pray that he gets to go home tonight and start his PT. But the reason why I love Andrew Bryan is because this man serves like few people that I have been around before. The first time, I've told you this, the first time I came as a guest to The View, I was scared to death and I met Andrew. And instantly that night, he invited me to go to Ching's Wings. And when he invited me to go to Ching's Wings, the first thing I thought was, what does this guy want? <laughs> I was like, this guy must work for insurance. He must be trying to sell me something. I was like, there's no way. I was, like, I was like, is he on staff? I was like, is this the pastor of The View? And he's quiet, got a long beard. And he asked me to go to Ching's. And at first I was like, I'm not, I'm not. I was like, yeah, I, I might go. And I left The View and I was like, I, I'm not going to go to Ching's Wings. I don't know this guy. I was like, I don't want to conversate. I don't, you know, I was just, I was wanting to go, but I was like so far from wanting to actually get plugged in. I was like, I don't want to do this, you know. And then he texted me, and I don't even know how he got my number. I didn't even fill out a card, so I don't know how he got my number, but he texted me. He said, hey, this is Andrew. Are we still on for Ching's? And I was like, yeah, when? And he had a date and a time picked out, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is too much. I was like, are you the pastor? I was like, I thought the pastor was Steve Gaines, like not Andrew Bryant. And he sends me this date, this Saturday at 12 o'clock at Ching's Wings. And I'm sitting there debating on going. I remember talking to my mom, and I was like, I don't know if I should go. I was like, is he going to ask me a bunch of Christian questions? I was like, I don't know how to answer these. I was a Christian for a week at that point. I was like, I don't know how to answer these. And so I almost canceled and flogged on him. And then the last minute I felt this, you know how the God will do in your heart where you just feel convicted, like, I gave my word, so. I went to Ching's Wings, I sat down, and the entire time he just asked me questions about myself. And the whole time I'm waiting for a pitch, I'm waiting for a, a hook, I'm waiting to be hooked in, you know, like, oh, well, while you're here, our church is doing a fundraiser I'd love for you to come to, and, you know, you can come help with kids in the program. Like, I don't like kids, so I'm not going to do that. And the whole time he just asked me questions about myself, the entire lunch. Questions about me coaching, questions about my family. And I'm sitting there, and we eat our food, and we're about to go. And I'm sitting there, I'm in disbelief that he has not pitched me one thing yet. <laughs> like, he hasn't asked me to do this. He hasn't asked me to do that. And as we're getting up to go, he's like, man, I really enjoyed lunch with you. Would you want to get lunch again? And I remember sitting there like, he wants to do this again just to get to know me. And I went back to the view, and I realized he wasn't on staff. I don't even think he was on a leadership team. He was just a 19-year-old member of a college ministry who knew his role was to spend intentional time with people when they come to the church for the first time, and gosh darn it, he's going to do it. And it seems so little to go to lunch with somebody and not try to bait them in, not try to hook them into a program, not try to recruit them for something, but just to get to know them. But it changed my life, and I'm talking about it seven years later. And that's the church being the hands and feet of Jesus. And when he was injured in the car accident, he was serving. He was picking up food. He was serving the local church when he got in a car accident. 
and didn't complain once. And I just sit here and think about this group, this room that's just large, and I think, like, do we do that for people? Before I ever thought about you, I thought about myself. I was like, do I go and sit down with people and just hear their story and listen to them and encourage them and then ask them to go do it again? Sometimes we go to lunch with somebody from church and we check the box and we like, never have to do that again. <laughs> Got my good Samaritan points. <laughs> There's my crown in heaven. <laughs> I asked somebody two questions. And yet when you look at Acts chapter 2, it doesn't take a pastor or a church staff member to change people's lives. It takes the Holy Spirit moving through them. <laughs> And if you're a believer, you have that Holy Spirit living inside of you. I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever gone out on a limb and ministered to somebody else in order to pull them into your community so that they can be a part? You look at these people in Acts chapter 2. They're being added day by day. I don't think they have to be convinced or persuaded to go worship the Lord. I don't think they have to see something on Instagram that looks good and say, ah, okay, I'll go. I don't think they had to be told, hey, for sure, free food, no matter what, if you come. Like, they just wanted to worship the Lord. But it takes all of us, and it takes us doing it together. I love this verse on unity. It comes from, it comes from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I'm skipping ahead on the verses a little bit. Paul says this about unity. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. And then Colossians 3, verse 13 says, bearing with one another, Paul says, and forgiving one another, if anyone have a, has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so are you to forgive others. You know, there's somebody here tonight that you can be like Andrew to, and it might be so small to you, but they could be sharing it in their testimony seven years from now. Doesn't that, like when you come to a Monday night worship service, doesn't that elevate the stakes a little bit? Right, even if you're a first-time guest, you could make an impact on somebody tonight, that you could be the reason somebody goes home tonight and thinks more about the Lord, by how you use your words and how you treat people. But man, we wanna come in and we just wanna go through the motions so much. We just wanna be a consumer. The church is not a vending machine for us to just get whatever we want out of it. The church is an automobile that we're supposed to go and be used and impact people. You know, when you look at Jesus' ministry and every single time he encountered somebody in Scripture, yes, he met physical needs. Yes, he offered salvation. But at the same time, every single place that Jesus was going, he was offering a home. Every time Jesus had an encounter with somebody in Scripture, he was reminding them where they belonged. And man, the word family is so huge. Churches use it, we use it, businesses use it, sports teams use it. You hear staff at Kroger, they're like, yeah, we're a family here. Everybody wants their, their church and their corporation to be a family. Why? Because that's attractive to people, isn't it? We want to belong, we want to fit in, we want to feel part of a family. What is that? That means you can come in and, and be accepted and be loved and be cared for. Every single time Jesus encountered somebody, he was offering them a place to belong far before this world was. I want to show you a verse where Jesus says this in Matthew 12, verse 50. He talks about this. He says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is communicating that when you obey God and when you follow the Lord, you are a family member of Jesus. And when he says in John 14 that he has gone to prepare a place for you, he's gone to prepare a place for you to belong and a place for you to call home, not just in this life, but for all of eternity. 
And you look at Acts 2. You see these people having joy. You see these people happy. You see these people praising the Lord. You see these people walking around knowing their purpose, knowing what they're supposed to do. I was at U of M campus today. I saw people with terrified expressions on their face. Earbuds in. Everybody's isolated. Everybody's alone. Everybody's doing their own thing. And you look at these people, they're happy and they're praising the Lord. And I want that kind of joy. And it's a glimpse and a glimmer of what heaven will be like on this earth. And it comes through unity. Isn't it amazing that the more unified God's people are, the more of heaven that we experience? Raises the stakes a little bit for community. So not only, number one, do you have to have a devotion to the word of God, and number two, the church must have a devotion to godly community. But number three, the church must have a devotion to prayer. Not just the word of God, not just godly community, but in Acts chapter 2, 42, you see a devotion to prayer. There's no such thing as a godly church that doesn't pray. There's no such thing as a godly friend group that doesn't pray. There's no such thing as a godly ministry that doesn't pray. Godly community gives a glimpse of heaven. Prayer opens the heavens. <laughs> and so many of us live in failure with prayer where we walk around discouraged, yet prayer is supposed to be our greatest victory and our greatest asset and our greatest tool to fight spiritually in this world. I think about when Peter cut off the ear of the man, and Jesus says, we don't need humanly weapons. We fight spiritually. I love this verse. When you, at Jesus' baptism, when he prayed and looked up, it says this. This is Luke 3, verse 21 to 22. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And as he was praying, look at this, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance of a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I would love for you to write this down. Because this shows three things. When Jesus prayed at his baptism, these three things happened. And these three things are offered to us in our prayer life. A, heaven opened to him. The first thing you see is that heaven opened to him. That when you pray and when you are serious in prayer and you are focused and diligent in prayer, you are opening up the windows of heaven. You are gaining access to God, to his character, to his nature, to his presence. You are directly talking to him. And you have the heavens opening up to you. You begin to have great insight into your calling, into your purpose, into what you're supposed to do with your life. It says that the heaven opened to him. Not only that, but B, the Spirit anointed him. The Spirit came down in the form of a physical dove and anointed him. And you and I receive anointing from the Lord when we pray and when we spend time with him. And not just that, see, God the Father spoke to him. It's one of my favorite places in Scripture when Jesus was baptized because you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all moving at the same time in one text together. You see the Father speaking, the Holy Spirit descending, and Jesus being baptized. An amazing picture of the gospel. We have a sermon on prayer coming up in a few weeks, so I'm going to circle back to this point. And so not only, number one, the church must have a devotion to the Word of God. Not only, number two, the church must have a devotion to godly community, and number three, to prayer. But lastly, number four, the church must have a devotion to doing ministry, to actually doing the work, to actually meeting needs, not talking about ministry, not dreaming about ministry, not posting about ministry, not emailing about ministry, but the church must have a real devotion to godly ministry. When you look at Acts 2, 42 and following, you see them give away what they have to minister to needs. You see them collectively come together. Now, what this means 
And man, students, I hope that you walk away with some action steps tonight. If you and I are going to be devoted to godly ministry, that means a few things based on this text. It means first, A, that we're called to minister to the needs of individual people. That's the first thing. That you are called to minister to the needs of individual people in your life. And you are not short on those opportunities. This sermon series is about being a blessing. My goodness. That quite literally means meeting needs of individual people around you. So would you ask this question? Who has a need around you? It ain't hard to find. I know you and I have needs. Who has a need? Who is going through a battle? Who is having a hard time? Who just lost their job? Who just failed their exam? Who is having a rough go of it? Whose parents are getting divorced? Who just lost a family member a few months ago? Who's in a car accident? Who's discouraged? Who feels isolated that you know? Who did you hear? Here's a good one. (laughs) This isn't in my notes. Who did you hear somebody else gossip about? Woo! Who you cannot join in the gossip, but go find that person and encourage them. (laughs) Who's the person that you haven't forgiven yet? Because if you want to know the needs of individual people in your life, if you're holding a grudge against them, you need to go forgive them, and that's the best need you can meet right now. Oh, and that's not popular. Yet Paul said in Colossians 3.13, we all amen. It was as loud as possible. Bearing with one another and what? Forgiving them, Laura. Forgiving them. Not that you have somebody to forgive. I don't know that. I'm just saying your name for fun. Forgiving somebody. The needs of individual people. But man, in Western culture, we're so short-sighted. We can't see the needs of people around us because we're so focused on what we need, not what other people have around us. But not just that, be minister to the needs of the community. I cannot stand when people talk so poorly about the city of Memphis and where we live and downtown and all the things that we have in this city. Because most of the people that talk poorly about the city and the poverty and the people that are struggling are people who are not doing anything to make the community better. I saw a post of a church planner, I believe in Washington, and they had somebody throw a brick through their window this past week. It's a church plant. And he posted online, and he was talking about how the cost of that window and what that cost was to replace that. And he said in the post, he was like, what we were going to do with that money, however much it was, we were going to take that money and we were going to, feed the homeless, clothe people who didn't have clothes. And in the post, it was so good because he said, if you threw this brick through our window, they're in a much different culture than Washington. He said, if you threw this brick in the window, we would still love to have you come to the church and make it right and be a part of what we're doing. And he said, also, in fact, if you're mad at the church, you can come and serve with us when we go feed the people who don't have food and don't have clothes. To minister to the needs of the community. When we were in Denver, Colorado, we take a couple leaders with us. Their names are Coach Nelson and Miss Emily. You heard from them at kickoff. And I love when they go to Denver with us because every time we get to Denver, I watch as they just jump in and start serving immediately. There was a day where the pizza didn't show up, and it was pizza day. And I've never seen Coach Nelson so stressed in his life about figuring out this pizza ordeal. And it's not even his problem. <laughs> he didn't order the pizza. He didn't place the order. He wasn't in charge of picking it up. Yet Coach Nelson cared about these kids having pizza on Friday. Why? Because it's pizza day. And he's not just at this camp for himself. He's there for these kids and for these servants. And he's talking to pizza drivers. He's coming inside. He was like, man, I'm hot right now. I said, what's going on? He said, we got to find this pizza. 
And I'm like, man, well, I think we'll figure it out. I'm like, no, we need to find this pizza. And I'm like, that's the attitude we need. And every single time they go to Denver and serve the community with us, it's amazing because I don't have to tell them how to serve. Nobody has to tell them how to meet the needs in the community in Denver. What they do in Arlington just translates when they get to Denver. So they don't go on a mission trip and become somebody else. They take how they serve Arlington and they go and they just do that in Denver and it makes a godly impact because most people aren't doing that there. See, that's the hard part. We want to serve on mission, but we're not serving in Memphis. So when we get there, we don't know what to do. Your community has needs. Where do you live? Bartlett. Ooh, I love Bartlett. Bartlett has needs. Arlington, Cordova, Raleigh, Frazier, Orange Mound, Binghampton. Where do you live? Where do you live? Are there needs there that, man, you could show up for two hours and meet a physical need and then get to tell somebody about Jesus? I'll tell you this right now from me, even if you're a first-time guest. If you would love to serve at Dwelling Place Church, I can get you connected tonight. I can send you to Raleigh this week to go serve with Pastor Leon at Dwelling Place Church if you want to go. I can get you connected to Binghampton. I can get you connected to the Sin Relief Center. I can get you serving Memphis for an hour a week, two hours a week, I can help you and my team too get you serving the community of Memphis tonight. <laughs> One call away. You walk up to Dakota, you say, Dakota, he talked about Bing Hampton. What, what does Bing Hampton need? Dakota's gonna go, hold on, let me call Pastor Sean. Pastor Sean ain't never got a call at nine o'clock with a college student wanting to serve. <laughs> He's gotten a lot of calls about trials and, and hardships and battles because he pastors the church in Bing Hampton. Can you imagine if he got a call tonight with two or three college students who said, hey, I'm gonna come out and serve this week or next, whatever you need, you just tell me, I'm there. Tonight, that's what the early church did. And that's what we're called to do in 2023. But not just that. See, minister to the needs of non-believers. I love what our pastor says. He says, we don't want to make Memphis a better place to go to hell from. If we are just... And I need you to hear me. If we are just doing physical needs, earthly needs, with no spiritual gain, I've heard pastors say this, we're rearranging furniture on the Titanic. It's still going down. At the end of the day, if I come to Devon and I help Devon fix his car, even though I would need my dad there because I don't know anything about cars, that's him and I help Devon, and he doesn't know Jesus, and I help fix his car, and he says, all right, man, well, I appreciate your help, and I give him a dap up, and I don't say a single thing about my beliefs or Jesus. I have helped meet a physical need without meeting the ultimate spiritual need. College students, we are called to minister to the non-believers. If you're a student at the University of Memphis, your calling is the University of Memphis. If you're a student at CBU, Rhodes, Southwest, Lamont, Owen, your calling is to that school. If you are employed somewhere, your calling is to that job. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be Chuck E. Cheese. Chuck E. Cheese should experience revival through you. It should be on fire for the Lord. And it would make headlines if a Chuck E. Cheese got on fire for Jesus Christ. That's where you are called. Are you willing to step out and do something for it? I love this. This is my last thing, and then we're going to be done. My wife, we had a lunch with all of her. English teachers in her department. She's a teacher at the Ninth Grade Academy in Bartlett. And she's been there now for over five years. 
And I love what she's been doing at that school because ever since she graduated college and ever since she stopped being a member, a staff member of a church, she's went and gone and done the real work there at that school to be there five days a week. And she's built these relationships with these teachers, and most of them don't know Jesus. I'll just be honest. We had, I had lunch with them at Chick-fil-A. They are hilarious, and they are very lost. They need Jesus. And I watched how my wife is the youngest of them, yet she probably has the most, and she doesn't know I'm saying this, she has the most influence over the group. And she's the youngest. And they all know she loves Jesus. And I've watched her for five years just continually build relationships with them with a spiritual goal in mind to tell Jesus, to tell them about Jesus. It was so cool. She sent me this picture today. I think we have it. It'll be on the screen. She sent me this picture. All of her teachers were wearing our shirts. And I think that is so amazing because today, whether you knew it or not, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven public school teachers representing our sermon series and ultimately, not the view, but the message of being a blessing. And I think about how many conversations could have happened with ninth graders today over being asked about what being a blessing is. And I look at my wife, who would hate me for sharing this, and she'll probably be mad because she doesn't want any recognition. But I think about how she's just faithfully week in and week out, when they've cussed, when they've said things, when they've, when they've done all these things, for her to just continue loving them with the love of Christ week in and week out and the impact that she could be making. That's my challenge to you. Who could you do that for? Who could you do that for? And would we embody the characteristics and the attributes that God has called us to with the early church?